Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc, on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about our church or to support us financially, visit newgrace.cc. Amen. Amen. Man, it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen, amen. So, really quick, I got a public service announcement. This ain't going to be no shock. You're going to hear it a lot going forward. Thank you, sir. So kind, so kind. We need volunteers. Oh, man. Where's everybody at this morning? Hello. We need volunteers. Let me remind everybody this morning really quick before we jump in these notes. This is going to take me about 25 minutes to go through these notes. Like, just boom, boom, boom. We need volunteers. We have not one, but two locations now. Two. The other one's under construction right now, but we need volunteers. If you are thinking about plugging in, getting in where you fit in, whatever stupid other euphemism you want to use, like, now's the time. Now is the time. Um, we need, we need people to buy into what God's doing here and give of their time, their time. Now, your time is the most invaluable thing you possess because you don't know how much you got, but you use it like a renewable resource. And we need your time. We're asking for your time. This is me, Pastor Jeff, saying, hey, we need more volunteers. We need more worship team members. We need more kids workers. We need more parking lot people. We need more of everything. Like, let me tell you something. These are great problems to have for a church because these problems reveal to us that we've had exponential growth since we've been here. And now we're about to expand and go into two communities. Listen, if you have questions about getting plugged in, if you have questions about serving or where you can fit in, come talk to us. We want to help you take that next step. We want to help you make New Grace your church home where you can serve, where you can get plugged in. So that's my public service announcement. This morning, we're going to preach out of the book of Nehemiah. And uh, just a little context and setting of the book of Nehemiah. I'm sure if you've never read the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was this guy. He was a captive Jew in the kingdom of Persia. And he actually was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. And he gets a report saying that the walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and burnt, and the city lie open to raiders and to all sorts of evil. So Nehemiah, he, he launches this huge project to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And there's one verse of Scripture that provides us with a look beneath the surface of the project but all, and also the people. Um, it reveals to us how the wall was rebuilt. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. We're going we're gonna to park on this one verse here today, and I'm going to do the best that I can do with my finite understanding and minimal training to break this verse down for you. Here's what it says. It says, so built we, highlight that word in your Bible if you write in your Bible. Some of you don't. You're, you're more saved than I am. That's cool. <laughs> highlight the word we. He said, so built we, the wall, and all the wall was joined together onto the half thereof. There is a reason why this happened. And it's right here in the end, right here of this verse. It says, for the people had a mind to work. Let's look at it again. It says, so built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together onto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. The people 
had a mind to work. It didn't say the king had a mind to work. It didn't say the pastor had a mind to work. It didn't say the worship pastor had a mind to work. It didn't say that the worship leaders had a mind to work. It said the people had a mind to work. Today I want to talk to you about a very simple thought. It's called a mind to work. You see, because everything starts in here before it ever comes out of here or here or here. Starts here. So when we pick up in chapter 4, verse 6, let me give you the context here. The wall has been built. At the time of verse 6, the project is completed. It's done. Like they have rebuilt the wall and it's finished. There's no gaps in the wall. Everything's been repaired. Whole sections that were missing were restored. And just to give you sort of an idea of what this looks like, when the city of Jerusalem was besieged by Nebuchadnezzar, they besieged the city. They burnt the walls down. They raided the city. We're talking about Jerusalem. And if you know anything about ancient cities, they didn't just have one wall around them. They had an outer wall and an inner wall. And these things were massive, massive. And all of this had been destroyed. So check this out. They, they get a mind to work and they go into this project and the whole wall is rebuilt. Now, when, there's done, when they're done, there's nothing missing. Like they crossed every T, dotted every I, did everything that they needed to do to make sure this thing was better than what it was before because that's what a restoration project is. When you go to restore something, your goal and objective is not to put it back the way it was. It's to make it better than what it was before. That's how God operates. Most of us, we understand the principle of restoration because God kind of had to come in and start sanding down the frame, and then he had to get it primed. And before we got wheels on the vehicle, he had to check the brakes and put a new engine in it and all those other things. Like, it's a restoration project. They restored the walls. And when they were done, it was better than what it was before. Everything that Nehemiah and his team set out to do, took place because of a shared collective mindset. The project was reaching completion because the people had a mind to work. When I think about this, it takes me to the New Testament, and it makes me think about the book of Acts. And it makes me think about those early Christians, the day of Pentecost and forward through the book of Acts, because there's a one thing, there's one key ingredient that describes those people that always sticks out in my mind. It says they were one mind and one accord. And God used that mindset to turn the world upside down in the first century. He used that mindset here in the book of Nehemiah to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Why can't he use a mindset like that today in 2023? So much separation, so much division. We disagree about everything. Like everything. I don't care if you're a Democrat, a Republican, a Libertarian. I don't care if you're a capitalist. A con- it doesn't matter. None of that matters to me. My question for anyone in this room is, are you a Christian? And then the next question is, are you a proclaimed Christian or are you practicing Christian? Because there's a difference. There's so many people that claim the name of Jesus. They claim the name of Jesus, but they don't actually practice the name of Jesus. These people had a mind to work. This mindset was introduced to me years ago. I was in my 20s. And if you don't know, I'm in my 40s. I know like I'm in my 60s, but I'm actually only 42 years old. But like if God ever calls you into ministry... Just let me give you a disclaimer. This isn't in the notes. It's free. It doesn't char- you don't have to give anything extra this week. If you get into ministry and God calls you into a pastoral role, you age like a dog. I'm actually 87 years old on the inside. Sure enough. Sure enough. Thanks. Yeah. This mindset was introduced to me years ago. I was in my 20s. We were going to this little church and we were renting this little building 
on the south end of Commerce, Georgia. Little bitty building. We had like maybe 70 people, and they kept going up on the rent. The place was a dump, and the pastor gets up in front of the church. I'm like barely saved at this point. He says, we're going to have to move. And everybody's like, well, where are we going? We found a piece of land about four or five miles away, just inside Madison County. We're going to buy this land. And this was my first exposure to people being unified and having a mind to work in church. We raised $50,000 in a month, right? We bought five acres of land out in Jotham Down, Georgia, which is right outside of Pocatalico, Georgia. And if you're from up here, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, but it's a nice little slice of heaven right inside Madison County, Georgia. And if you blink or sneeze while you're driving through there, you won't even know it exists. We bought five acres of land there to build a new building, to build a new building. Back then, you used your land as collateral. You got a loan from the bank. You started your construction project. And I'll never forget, we had to do everything ourselves. Because, I mean, we're working with, like, Tic Tacs for a budget. And I remember the first thing I did in that, in, in that with them was we got over there. This guy brought his bulldozer. He graded the land off. And then we had to lay rebar down so that they could pour concrete. I ain't never laid no rebar down, bro. I know how to now because I did it then. We're out there, and all this rebar is laid out like a checkerboard, and you got to go to every joint and, and twist it and tie it together with these little metal things that will cut the mess out of you, man. Um, didn't nobody tell me to bring gloves or nothing, but we was out there, and we were working, and there was like 25 people out there tying off this rebar so they could come pour concrete the next day. That was the first thing I ever did. And I remember looking around and seeing young people, old people, men, Women, it did not matter because everyone knew, hey, this is the first step in us completing part of the project where God's going to do something amazing. And everybody had the same mindset. They did. Like, like it was instrumental in my personal growth and in my church life because it taught me, hey, this is what this is supposed to be. Like, this is how this is supposed to work. When we all get a common goal, and that common goal is to serve Christ, and then we step forward in faith with whatever comes next, and we work together, we can do anything anything that church is still sitting over there on five acres it started out as a 7,000 square foot building and now it's 14,500 square feet we built another building there and we could have we couldn't have done any of that because we were all just a bunch of sinners saved by grace outside the glory of God and having a mind to work a mind to work is necessary if people are assigned a God project new grace new grace is a God project and if you've been here five minutes or five years, you know that. This is a God project. That's why circumstances haven't been able to kill it. That's why moving, being homeless, doing all these things hasn't been able to squash this out, quench this fire, extinguish it, because it's a God project. So in this season right here, where God's fixing to expand us and push our borders out, we have to have a mind to work. We do. We have to have a mind to work because this mindset says this. This is what it says. God's going to get this done if I step up and I do what I'm supposed to do. Like God will do this, but I have to do this with him. I have to be available. I have to be willing. And sometimes I've got to step outside of my comfort zone and do things that aren't comfortable or things that maybe I don't fully understand, but I'm doing them anyways because I understand God's hand is all over this. This mindset's prevalent among a group of people that believe that they have been assigned divinely to work together to do something great for God. Nine o'clock, I don't think you heard me. Let me say it again. Listen. 
A mind to work is prevalent among a group of people that believes they have been divinely assigned to work together and do something great for God. Do we want to do something great for God? I do. I do. I wake up every morning wanting to do something great for God. Something, anything. And sometimes it's as simple as holding the door open at QT so the person who doesn't know how to look up from their phone doesn't break their face on the door. But I want to do something great for God every single day. Collectively, as a church, do we want to do something great for God? Because if so, this is what our prayer should be today. Lord, give us a mind to work. One mind, one accord. Task. Goal is completion. That's, the, that, that's it. We're going to use the framework of this story and we can see some takeaways that lead to a mind to work regarding the rebuilding of the walls because Nehemiah's project was a God-assigned project. So the first one's really simple. Somebody imagined it. Like it started here. Like imagine with me for just a second. Nehemiah had a vision for the wall. So he cast the vision. Now, let me give you a disclaimer here, okay? Because there's a difference between corporate vision and personal vision. Everybody in here should have a vision for what God wants for your life, and you should be measuring that against what is God's will for your life. We're talking about corporate vision this morning. We're talking about the vision of the church. We're talking about the vision that we have as a church corporately. Now, like I said, personal vision could be, you know what? I feel like God wants me to buy a red Volkswagen bug and hang out the sunroof while someone drives and preach the gospel in downtown Athens. That's awesome. Go do that. But we're talking about corporate vision. This is where we all get aligned. This is where alignment happens under corporate vision. And, and let me say this. If alignment doesn't happen you, with you with this corporate vision, that may be God's way of telling you, hey, you know what? I got another church right down the road. You probably should go check it out. That's not being ugly. That's not being mean. That's being honest. Because if you... If you're not aligned with vision and you continue to stay at a place, it's going to make you sour and bitter. Yeah. Yeah. And they look, look, there's 27 love 100 million churches around here. Yeah. Like, it's all good, baby. Do you? Like, if God's moving, you move. I mean, that ain't necessarily a good promo for membership, but it's the truth. It's the truth. Like, we imagined this together. Nehemiah had a vision for it, right? He had a vision for it. Others got a vision for the wall because he cast the vision. You see, someone cast a vision, and then other people catch the vision. All right? There's some things that you can learn, and there's some things that you have to catch. Vision is something that you catch. You don't learn vision. You catch it. He cast the vision. They caught the vision. Imagine with me for just a second uh, what new grace could be. Like, what could it be? Because I'm just, if I could just share my heart, like pull it out and set it on this little you know, Ikea table right here. Here's what I think New Grace could be. I think New Grace could be a church that's duplicated in numerous communities. That's what I think. You want me to be a little more specific? I think in the next five years, New Grace could have at least five campuses. That's what I think. That's what I believe. It's a lot of work, boo. Think about it. That's my wife down there. Oh, my God. Somebody get him off the stage. Turn his mic off right now. Five campuses in the next five years. That's what I believe. Like, like if, if I could just be real with you, 
I believe that God wants to use this to change the identity of church in this community. That's what I believe. I believe that what we're doing here is changing what church membership looks like. I believe this is more community that is church because it's a community of believers, not just a church because we call it a church. There's plenty of churches that are churches because they call them church, and they're more like country clubs. We haven't had the luxury of entering into the country club state yet. Like, I don't know if we'll ever get to that season, and if we do, we'll probably all quit and go do something else. This thing is born of adversity. God used adversity to absolutely crush me and your lead pastor to a point where we have no ego. I want him to do better than me. I want him to win. I want him to move the masses. And he wants the same for me. And we want that for you because we believe that that's part of this vision. This church's vision is like people experience new life in Christ. I'm praying that God's people wake up. Wake up and take ownership. It starts by understanding vision, corporate vision. He imagined it. The second thing's really simple. Somebody invested in it. Say, oh, there's the executive pastor right there. Chapter 2 talks about the investment. Invest with me. The king of Persia and others invested in this project. And just for reference sake, because I'm a nerd when it comes to history, the king of Persia at the time when Nehemiah is casting this vision and looking for investment, was the son of Xerxes. Some of you may know who Xerxes is if you've ever seen the movie 300, or maybe you actually know some history. Um, But this was his son. This was his son. You're talking about a kingdom that spanned almost the entire known globe. And Nehemiah's standing there next to this joker with a goblet, like little John, tasting his juice before he drinks it. Artaxerxes is sitting there like, is it good? And he's like, yeah, you know. (laughs) He was one of the most influential people in the kingdom because he stood next to the king. You see, sometimes investment comes through influence. And and let's take money out of the equation for a second. Because the greatest investment that you can ever make is an investment of your time. Like, maybe, maybe God didn't give you a treasure chest or a hoard of treasure. But what he gave you was time. And you can invest that time. How do I invest that time, Pastor Jeff? Well, I would, I, would, I would suggest you start by investing it in yourself. How are you growing and walking with Christ? And then look for someone else to invest it in. Because sometimes you may not have the gift of giving, you may not have the gift of treasure, but you have the gift of time and you can use that to invest it in someone else and God will increase influence. He'll increase that influence. People that want a stake in what God is doing will put stock in what God is doing. They will. They will. That's just how it works. God always uses people to invest in this project. And this allows you to invest in an eternal stock. Look, I like like to do the stock market. I haven't looked at it in a couple days because it gives me anxiety. But what we're talking about isn't a temporary spreadsheet or a graph or a line chart, what we're talking about is eternity that is equated in souls. That's what we're talking about. Human beings, heartbeats, minds, imaginations that come to the knowledge of the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and their lives are changed instantaneously in a moment. 
You can't find that anywhere else in the world. There is nothing else ever offering, uh, offering that. Nehemiah had a vision. Yes, he imagined it. He dreamed it. He cast it. People got on board. Right. Then people saw what they were thinking. Right. They heard the vision and they started investing. Amen. And then the project begins. Yes, the project begins. Somebody invested in it. People investing is how the mission gets funded here. It is. We do this thing called the 310 challenge here. Because, look, let me come off the stage and just be real with you for a second, all right? There's an 80-20 principle in church. 80-20. What does that mean? That means that 80% of the people enjoy the fruits of the labor and 20% of the people do all the work. Right. Don't shoot the messenger. It's just the facts. That's how it works. And it's in just about every church you go to. It doesn't matter how big the church is. It doesn't matter. Because we have been conditioned as Americans to have a consumeristic mindset. So we will walk into a church and we will rate, grade, and judge it, not based on whether or not the presence of God and the Holy Spirit is in the room, but what, do they have, well, what, is their, what does their lobby look like? Do they have comfortable chairs? Can I get a mocha latte over there at the coffee bar? Yeah. Is the area cool for my kids? Not as somebody telling my kid about Jesus, but is the area cool? Because when I want to come in here, I want to unplug and hear something motivational and not have to worry about my kids for an hour and a half. That's American church. The 310 challenge does this. It challenges Christians right at the front door as soon as you come in. It says, here's the deal. This is one of the most basic principles of Christianity. It is. It's where you learn how to invest your time, your talent, and your treasure into the kingdom of God. Because one of the first things that God asks is, he says, you know what? I'm going to give you all this, and I'm going to let you be a steward of 90%, but I want you to take the first fruits and give me 10% back. A tithe. He says, I want 10%, but I'm going to let you keep 90. And I know, I know, because we're consumeristic, we got more bills than we got money. We do. We buy houses we can't afford. We drive cars we can't afford. We got credit cards. We got all this stuff. And we sit and think, well, how in the world am I supposed to do that? Because I don't know if my bills will get paid. And here's what I would tell you. The 310 challenge teaches you that the first step is this. It's about commitment. Maybe you can't do 10%. Maybe you need to start with one. Maybe you need to start with 0.5. The point is taking a step in faith and obedience to God's word and trusting him with what you give him first. You see, when people invest and people have the ability to invest funds, it's because they've mastered this principle in their personal life. The reason that there's an 80-20 split in the church is because most of us haven't mastered it. We just haven't. And I didn't mean to segue off into some kind of, you know, financial splub here. Like I'm, what's that dude's name that tells you put money in envelopes? Yeah, yeah, nah. Anyways. Um, somebody invested in this project. Somebody invested in this project. Somebody's investing in that project in commerce. Somebody will invest in the next project if it goes further north. Then somebody will invest in the east and somebody will invest in the west. It's just how it works. Do you want to invest? Do you want to be in a position where you can? Nothing feels better than when you can say, Lord, I want to give you something extra on purpose feels great. It does. Here's where I really want to park. Somebody was involved in it. Chapter 3, leading into chapter 4, when we get to verse 6, so we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together onto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Get involved with me. I'm not talking about going to the movie and holding hands. Get involved with me. Get involved. Involve people work with responsibility. 
Responsibility. That's, ta- that's a mindset. What it says is it says this will get done if we yes, do it. It doesn't say, y'all go do that. Y'all go do that. Let me tell you a story. You ever been in that situation where, like, you guys are doing something? And, and I'll, I'll equate it to church. Everything wasn't perfect when we were building that church down there in Pocatalico, Georgia. There were a couple people that were like, yeah, let's go do this. Woo! And, uh. We get down there working. We didn't have smartphones at the time. They had the flip phones. And, and homeboy would be over there sanding a wall, and all of a sudden he'd be like, hello? And he would disappear until it was lunchtime. Oh, that was such an important phone call. Man, that, that was a phone call about your car's extended warranty. Quit playing, man. Like, this mindset says we have to do this. Not we have to do this, but y'all go do it. Y'all, y'all go do that. Um, we don't need anybody that says we need to do this, yet the we doesn't include me. Right. Like, this is a we project. Yes, sir. It says this is my responsibility. Yes, sir. It's my responsibility. It's likened to an owner. Listen. You know the difference between an owner and a renter? Listen. Involved people give time. Like we said last week, because the proof of love is the investment of time. The greatest thing you can give this church is your time. It is. The basic principle and tithing of your funds, that's between you and God, and we can help you take that step. But the greatest thing you can give this church is time. It's time. Involved people work with effort. They go the extra mile. They do. I don't want to park here and talk about this too much, but like, have you ever been somewhere and you walk in, you walk in and like, And you sit down, and people just, I mean, look, I know we live in a post-COVID world. Don't nobody want to touch a snot rag, but you just, renters have that mentality. An owner says, this is mine. It needs to go in the trash. I'm going to pick it up because this is part of my responsibility. It's part of my responsibility to make sure that this place is presentable that there's no distractions so that when the pastor gets up and he starts preaching and the worship team is singing, that no one's focusing on a booger rag in the middle of the floor because everyone can get locked into what the Spirit of God is doing. It's the same with peppermint wrappers. It's the same with coffee cups. It's the same with the bathrooms. Like, owners walk into a place. I just touched my mic. Wow. Sorry. Owners come into a place, and they're literally looking for problems to solve. Ownership comes with hidden cost. It does. It does. If I'm renting my house, it doesn't matter if I open all the doors and windows and run the heat and air unit. Because if it breaks, I don't have to pay for it. But if I'm an owner, I pay attention to the thermostat. I make sure that I get it, I get maintenance done on it regularly. Because there's a hidden cost if that thing tears up. People work with effort. They go the extra mile. They do. Involve people leave a mark. They leave a mark. How does CSI identify someone if they've been at a crime scene? They look for fingerprints. They look for DNA. They look for evidence that you've been there. Is there any evidence that you've been here other than the impression you're going to put on that cushion on that chair when you get up? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I get what you're fighting against. 
You're fighting against that mindset that says, I'm just here to consume. And I'm asking you to start crucifying that mindset and have a mindset that says, I want to contribute. I want to contribute. Because here's the deal. Most of you are here because you went into a place when you were younger in your life and there was someone else's fingerprints there. There was someone else's DNA there. There was someone else's tears in the altar. There was someone else's prayers that had went up to heaven. And somehow you were the recipient of that because Christianity is about reciprocity. We put in without the expectation of getting back and someone else gets blessed. That's what it looks like when you get involved. That's the end game for involvement. Have you accepted responsibility for your church yet? Have you? Because I can promise you one day Christ is going to hold all of us accountable for what we've done and what we did with His bride. With His bride. This is His bride. His bride. Involve people work within a role. This is where people get lost. Each person in the story of Nehemiah found a spot and they worked it. If you read the book of Nehemiah, it looks like genealogy because it lists all these people and you're like, oh my God, what's the point of all this? Like, I can't even say that dude's name. Who is this person? Like, what's happening? You know, but everybody found a spot and they worked that spot. And they even understood that, hey, I may have to be holding a trial over here, putting this plaster on the wall, but have a sword in this hand because there were people that didn't like what they were doing. When it comes to serving in church, don't be so consumed with your spot that you never fill a spot. This is not my spot. It's not my spot. If I had my spot that I would prefer, it'd be back there behind a dark curtain looking at a screen somewhere. You'd never see me. I'd come out looking like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. You know? This is not my spot. Like, don't be so consumed with your spot that you don't fill a spot because there are tons of spots. There are tons of spots. With God, a thing, a thing, can become the thing. And it's never really about it being your thing because it's actually God's thing. Everything you see here, everything, it's God's. It's not mine. It's not Pastor Derek's. It's not the board of trustees. It's not our investors. It's God's. It's God's. I'll give you a good example. In the book of Exodus, we see Moses and his rod. You know, the one he threw on the ground and it fell into a snake in front of Pharaoh, and everybody was like, oh, snap. You know? Check this out. Exodus 4, verse 4, it's referred to as a rod. Not a Ron, but a rod. In verse 17, it's called this rod. And by the time you get to verse 20, it's referred to as the rod of God. Understand the ident- identification process here. A spot can become the spot if you're willing to get in that spot. Very good. That's how it works. That's how it works. There's a joy and a wonder in Christian growth found in exploration and experimentation. And it may take you trying everything. Pastor Jeff, I just can't find my fit. Well, keep trying. Keep working. Keep trying. And here's the thing. If I could encourage you with anything, you're like, well, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what my gifts are. I don't know what my talents are. I don't even know how to read this book right here. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Find a spot and start. Start. Start serving. And, and here's an epidemic that's happened in our society. Nobody wants to ask for help anymore. 
Nobody wants to ask questions no more. Nobody wants to say, excuse me, sir, like I want to do this, but I don't exactly know what I'm doing. So like, could you or somebody else please help me? Because here's the deal. At the end of the day, that's my job. Like, that's what I do. That's what he does. That's what our staff, that's what we do. We don't just sit in a circle holding hands, singing Kumbaya and Jesus be mine and levitate off the floor every week. We're literally working through things, trying to help people get plugged in so that they can have identity and ownership in a church that is changing the culture of this community. And all you got to do. Hey, bro, like, I don't know where I fit or what I can do. I'm just a mechanic. No, you're not. No, you're not. Man, you're a son of the most high king. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, pastor. I, I'm just a nurse. I just work at a daycare. I don't know what I could offer. You're more than that, sister. You're a daughter of the most high king. There, 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 is, there is glory locked inside your being because the Holy Spirit lives within you. And God's ready to take all those insufficiencies, deficiencies, and cracks in your exterior and shine marvelous light through it to be a testimony of His goodness and His grace. And all you have to do is step up and get ready and make yourself available. That's it. Like, you don't need a formal education. You don't have to understand all of the theology and doctrine. That can come in time. What you need right now is a spirit that says, Lord, I want to make myself available because I want to get involved. I want to go to work. Going to work. I want to go to work. Some of you are ready to go to war. Get involved. Get involved. And understand that you might have to do a hundred things before God shows you the thing. You may. You may. There's no excuses. No excuses. Just start serving God and get in a spot. And start going. Start doing. Start being. You see, here at our church, your role on the wall right now is what fixes the holes that we have in the wall. Everything you see on Sunday. Dudes in the parking lot. People standing at the door. People over here. People up here. There's holes in all of those walls. There is. Like, please hear what I'm saying. When the Commerce Campus opens, and it's going to open, when it happens, we're going to have holes in two spots. Why don't we fix the holes now while we're here? Like, why don't we become more intentional? Pastor Jeff, I don't like kids. Well, that's cool. Go put some chips in the bucket. My kid's grown. I ain't looking to raise no more, personally. But I'll go over there and serve right now if I need to. Pastor Jeff, I can't sing. Do you know how to worship? Do you know how to worship? Because what they, they don't sing. That's not singing. They're not singing. They're worshiping. They're leading you in worship. Maybe the first thing you do is you learn how to get involved where you're at right now. That little three-by-three piece of real estate you're occupying, you get involved there. And you say, Lord, I want to take this step, but I feel like this is the first step I need to take, and I want to get involved right now. And I get engaged in what's happening. I'm listening, not so that I can have a response to my spouse when I get in the car, like, God, he sure is opinionated. Like, yeah. He's kind of rude, probably. 
but so that I can be engaged in what the Word of God's saying. When they're up there singing, I can get engaged and have a spirit of worship. And I can do it from where I'm at because there's people to both sides of me, there's people in front of me and people behind me, and maybe God can use that as a first step for me to start working and operating in influence. Maybe, just maybe. Listen, if you're not on the wall, it's time to get on the wall. It's time to get on the wall. I said this last week and I said it, I'll say it again. This thing has wheels on it and an engine in it. And if you don't get on this thing while it's sitting here idling, it's going to leave you behind. And it ain't going to be an intentional thing. It's not like I'm sitting in my office with a secret notebook of everybody that's getting left behind. That's not how it would know. I'm just telling you, like, I'm just telling you, this thing moves quick. And if you haven't picked up on this yet or not, the one thing that we have mastered in the last four years is what we call the art of the pivot. We're back up here up against the wall looking for the ball, trying to pass the ball. Just, you know, here's the deal. When you pursue God, when you have a thirst and a hunger for righteousness and holiness, you learn how to pivot. Because you understand, I'm not attached to this floor. I'm not attached to this stage, these lights, those chairs. I'm not attached to any of that. I, 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 look, I'm a pilgrim and a stranger in this land. And I'm looking for a city and founder whose maker is God. This is not it. This is not it. I'm not in love with any of this. I thank God for the blessing of it. I thank God that we have a place, but I'm not in love with this. I didn't come in here saying, man, I'm glad it looks like a disco in here. No, I don't care what it looks like in here. What I care about is whether or not the presence of God's in the place that we inhabit, because it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. When you're involved, you understand that the responsibility and the work falls on you and I. And those are the things that we hunger and thirst for and we look for. I don't care if we've got interlocking church chairs. I don't care. You might, but I don't. I just want God's presence to be in each and every one of the chairs. Man, we could be sitting on bar stools. We could be standing. We could be gathered in a back room hiding from Roman centurions who want to lock us up and throw us in prison. But for some reason, we live in 2023, and this is just a thing we do. Instead of who we are, involve people, work within a role. Are you serving in a role yet? Where's, your, where's a spot on the wall that you can fill at New Grace? Pastor JJ, come here. So, the first responsibility, the first responsibility that I ever really took in church was sitting in a church service like this on a Sunday morning, and the pastor gets up and he says, we're going to have to shut down our youth Sunday school class because the person who's teaching the class is moving and we, just, we don't have anybody that has any interest in it. Y'all, I didn't know the difference between Moses and Jesus. I just knew that Jesus was my Savior. And I was sitting there, and that's the first time since I got saved that the Holy Spirit pricked my heart. It was, it was I, I, like, I couldn't not, I couldn't run from it. The Holy Spirit was like, you need to do that. I mean, they gave me a Bible when I got saved, and I started reading in the book of Genesis, and by the time I got to chapter 8, I was like, man, I don't know what this is saying. I don't know what this is saying. Like, like I don't know, like, what am I reading right here, you know? 
And the Holy Spirit's like, you need to do that. That's your job. That's your responsibility. That's your spot. So I did what most of you do. I wrestled with it for about two weeks. I ain't gonna do that. Like, I just turn it off, man. Just, it just kept coming back, kept coming back, kept coming back. So after the second week, Sunday after church, I walked up to the pastor, tears in my eyes and so much fear in my heart because I thought, well, they're not going to use me. I don't know anything. Like, I'm literally like just saved, right? Terrified. And I walk up to the man of God and I say, listen, um, you know, I'm probably not right for this. I'm probably not good enough for this. I don't really know anything about the Bible. But for some reason, I feel like I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to ask you if I can teach that Sunday school class. He's 23 years old. And he said, come back here to my office. I didn't know if he was going to kill me or what. <laughs> we go back to his office in that little building that we were in at the time, and his office was literally in the closet with the water heater. His desk is situated in it, a water heater's over here. He squeezes past the water heater, sits down, he says, sit down. So I sit down in this folding chair, and he says, from the moment you came in this place, I've been praying for you. I don't know. I don't know what God's going to do with you, but if you want to teach this class, here's the material. And it was that little Baptist quarterly had the picture of the church on front of it. And I took that quarterly and he said, listen, he said, it's really simple. You just go in here, you study this lesson, you pull your Bible out, you, you, you pull up the scripture, and this thing right here will walk you through it. He said, he, and he actually sat down with me and taught me how to write an outline. He said, here's how you write a study outline so you can teach this, or you can teach it straight out of the book. I've always been extra, so I learned how to write an outline. And the next week, Monday came, I'm on my lunch break, sitting in the cafeteria at work with this quarterly out and a Bible out, eating a Pop-Tart, because I'm 23, I mean, you know what I'm saying? And I'm studying, and, and check this out. Here's the, here's the most amazing thing. When I made myself available, and then I decided to take God up on an opportunity, not knowing what was going to happen next. God equipped me with some things. Like he equipped me with a new hunger and desire to learn. I got frustrated with that Bible when I was just trying to read it from the front to the back. So I got this little bitty quarterly and I opened it up. And my, the first Sunday school lesson I ever taught was out of the book of Hebrews. About the great cloud of witness. I'm like, what the heck are they talking about? What does that mean? And I studied that lesson day after day after day after day. And Sunday rolled around, and Sunday school was at 9 o'clock. And I was there at 8 o'clock. And I'm going over my outline, I'm going over my lesson. And I'm so nervous, so much fear about letting God down, yes. letting my pastor down, letting this church down. So much fear. Didn't realize at the time that that was the enemy. Yep. Oh, it was just me. And then these six kids walk into this little room that's about the size of a closet, wood panel walls, two fold-out tables. We sit down, and I stumble and stammer through my words, and I teach Sunday school for the first time. I didn't know at the time that that was the door that was going to open that would change my life. 
change my life. I never wanted to do this, ever. Like, it was never on my radar. It was never a thought in my mind, Jeff, you're going to be a pastor. And the Holy Spirit said, go do that. And I was like, well, I can't do that, but I'll try. And over the course of the last 20 years, God has changed my life. Like, I can't walk into a church, whether it's this one or another one that I'm going to for a funeral or to speak, and not pick the peppermint wrapper up off the floor. I just can't. It doesn't matter where I'm at. If I go in a bathroom and it's dirty, I'm getting toilet paper and I'm wiping it down. Because it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Him. That first, that first Sunday school lesson. It was like God flipped a switch. And I didn't know what it was. I had no idea what it was. And a year later, God's like, hey man, I got something else for you. And it's like, oh God, I'm good. Like, I'm good. I remember, I remember the moment. I remember the moment, like it was yesterday, when the Holy Spirit was like, Jeff, you're going to communicate my word in multiple places. You're going to stand on platforms. You're going to stand in locker rooms. You're going to stand in jail cells. You're going to stand in hospitals. You're going to be in all these places, and you're going to communicate my word. Lord, I just learned how to study this quarterly. Say yes. Say yes. You'll never regret it. It won't always be easy. There'll be times where you second-guess yourself. There'll be times when you argue with God. There'll be times when you fight against your flesh. There will be all that, but say yes. You will never regret saying yes. You'll never regret it. I think the thing that blows me away the most about this is, is I was living a life that was going to leave an inheritance for my son after I was gone. That was my mindset. Work, work hard, make as much money as you can, be a good person, go to church, everything will work out all right, and when you're gone, he'll be okay. And over the last 20 years, I haven't left an inheritance for him in this world because my inheritance has been laid up in heaven. And the legacy that will precede this physical life of mine goes way beyond my physical reach. It goes way beyond my understanding. It goes way beyond my words and the sound of my voice. Because God, God took somebody like me and said, hey, I'm going to allow your fingerprints and your DNA to be all over the place. But you got to say yes. You got to say yes. You say yes. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted each week on Tuesday.